Lessons Lived podcast, hosted by Michael Puente. What would you teach the world? Hi, and welcome to Lessons Lived. I'm here with Janet Fernandez. Janet, I've known for a little over a year. We've done two retreats now in the Sacred Valley at Camino Sagrado, lovely retreats. And I've been chasing Janet down for a year to do this because she made a lot of transformations last year and she's a lovely, lovely person. Anyway, today she's going to talk about two things. The first thing is it's okay to say no. And the second thing is solitude is not the same thing as loneliness. Both beautiful, beautiful lessons. Janet, how you doing? I'm doing really good. I feel so good after last night's ceremony. Awesome. Yes. Oh, yes. Yeah, it was a beautiful ceremony. We partook in three ayahuasca ceremonies over the past eight days or so, and it's been a just magical time here. Before we get into the lessons themselves, why don't you tell us a little bit about who you are, your path, your journey? Yes. So at, I believe, nine years old, my parents got divorced. And ever since then, my path has been a little rough. My mom and dad never really saw eye to eye, so I had two very different teaching. I was taught different ways from different people, and both of them were pretty much polar opposites. Mm. So a lot of my youth was very dependent just on myself. I had to kind of recognize what was good for me, what was not good for me. But at nine years old, you're easily influenced, especially by your parents. So whatever my parents told me, I kind of started to believe that was right. So my dad was very masculine. He still is. So any, any type of emotion I would show, whether it was anger or sadness, frustration, even like overjoy, just like anything really emotional, he would... He would kind of put me back into my place. He's just like, what are you doing? You're showing vulnerability. People take advantage of people who are vulnerable. And I started to believe that. And that made me believe that the world was very evil. Mm. However, on my mom's end, she was also very emotional. But she was more depressed emotional. She took everything very, very personally. Mm. Anything that I would do, she would take personally. What my dad would do, she would take personally. As well as my brother, she would take very to the heart. Like, um, everything was aimed towards her. And so I started to get that kind of victim mentality from my mother as well. So anytime someone would kind of disrespect me in any way, whether it was my brother, my my father, my grandparents, anything like that, I would take very personally. Mm. But because my mom, she's been with my father years before I was born, or before they divorced, she started to also kind of get this mentality like, I can't let other people know. I kind of have to just deal with it by myself. Can't let other people know. Yeah, I can't. So I kind of started implementing these kind of teaching ways into my life until I was about 12. Then I started to get very, very depressed. And my biggest getaway was adrenaline, anything that gave me adrenaline. And a lot of that was risky behavior, like risky sex, a lot of substances. I would put myself in danger with the police, just like, you know, just doing- Crazy stuff. (laughs) Yeah, just doing crazy stuff, just to see how far I can get away with things. Mm -hmm. And that would give me the best feeling, especially if I was under a substance and doing risky stuff. It's just like, I was on top of the world. (laughs) And because my father and my mother never really saw eye to eye, they did not keep in touch after they divorced. Mm. So it's just like 
you do you and I'm gonna do me and we're gonna raise these kids together. However, my brother had a very tough relationship with my mom growing up, so he chose not to talk to her for a lot of his life after they divorced. So I felt really bad for my mom especially because she had depression. So I mainly stayed with her and then my brother mainly stayed with my dad. Mm. And for a long time, my mother started putting ideas into my head about how horrible my father was. And even though I didn't get to experience a lot of it, I started to believe it. So I started to have this hatred towards my father. And it wasn't so much because of what he did to me. It was more of like, how can you do this to the people that are most important to me? You know, my brother and my mom. He was abusive, you know, physically, mentally. And then my mother, she always had this victim mentality. So instead of me doing anything to fix it or me doing anything to... Um, almost confront it, my, um, well, I kind of just uh, kept it to myself. Like, I'm gonna, I, I don't, I don't, like, I had a, r a rough relationship with my father, but I'm gonna keep it on the low. Like, he doesn't need to know, um, he doesn't need to know what I know, you know? Mm -hmm. So as I grew up around 13, 14, 15, that's when I started doing a lot more substances. And at 15 was my first overdose. And once I overdosed, a lot of my family found out. What um, you were up to. Yeah, a lot of my family found out. And it was a big shocker to them because they didn't even know I smoked at that time, which is when I started very early. But at 15, when I overdosed, they found out because I was in the hospital. And this was on Thanksgiving, you know? So... Happy Thanksgiving. <laughs> I know, exactly. Jeez. So that was a really, that's also a big reason why I'm not a big fan of holidays. Just because anytime a holiday comes, I just picture the day where they were together, you know, at a family house. And then them having to find out like, oh, Janet's not going to be here because she's in the hospital. She just tried to kill herself. So I started to really hate holidays after that. So 15 was my first overdose. And then 16 was my second and third. 17, I had another one. That was my fourth. 18, I was fine. 19, I had my fifth and my sixth. And then, no, my fifth, sixth, and seventh. Yeah. And so when I was 19, I met this nurse at the hospital when she was kind of, you know, helping me uh, recover. And she recognized me from one of the previous times that I was in the hospital. And she just kind of looks at me in a very insensitive way as well. She just kind of looks at me and she's like, how many more times do you have to be in here until you realize it's not your time to go, you know? And at that moment, I kind of played victim again. And I'm just like, how can you talk to me? Do you not know where I am? Do you not know my mental space? But I needed that tough love. Mm. I really needed like the attitude and Someone she just, I needed it. And she just kind of like didn't talk to me after that. She just kind of like did my vitals and stuff. So that nurse, I believe was a big impact towards change because not even my mother had told me that before. Mm. You know, she just kind of looked at me like very sad, like, oh, I'm sad and I have a very sad child. Like, we're just going to be very sad. Sad people. Yeah, that. sad people. And then my dad, he just always kind of didn't understand. He was very masculine. So he's just like, you just need to start feeling less. You know, you just need to start not letting people affect you so much, not 
let um, get over it. Yeah, get over it pretty much. Yeah. And it's just always the same concept. Like, don't let people see you vulnerable. People take advantage because, you know, you're vulnerable. So yeah, that was my that was my beginning. And when I was around 19, I didn't know why I started seeing so many numbers appear in my life, just like everywhere. And the most repetitive one was 222. And I didn't understand why, you know, um, I wasn't in touch with my spirituality at all. I was just this still very anxious, very depressed little child. And because of my risky behavior, I ended up getting that tattooed. And I still didn't know the meaning behind of it. And I don't know why I didn't even search the meaning behind of it. But after I got it tattooed, I had more people asking me like, oh, why 222? And I'm just like, you know what? Let me, let me search it up. Mm. So then I searched it up and then I learned about angel numbers, synchronicity, and just like, you know, mm. law of attraction, stuff like that. And I started to get more into my spirituality, which is when I started to uh, kind of look into more um, why things happen the way they happen and when do they happen. You know, just why, yeah. everything why. And ever since I was a little child, like probably 12, I love learning about substances. So during school, that was my teaching, you know, just teaching myself Regular about pharmacologist. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, just like compound psychoactive plants, you know, just a little bit of everything. And I have touched base a little bit with salvia and ayahuasca first. I always had thought, no, this is overhyped. You know, these people had, you know, one too many cups of ayahuasca. <laughs> but once I started to realize more that these plants do have like a spiritual side to them, mm. that is when I started to um, try to implement them into my life. Not take psychoactive plants as so much as a recreational thing, but more like there's a deeper meaning behind them. You know, right. I just need to listen to my body, mm -hmm. which is when I started taking uh, large doses of mushrooms by myself. Mm -hmm. It wasn't around my friends anymore. Brave girl. Yes, thank you. <laughs> and the first large dose I took, I believe was 5.2 grams around there. And it was absolutely the most horrifying thing I've ever done <laughs> at that point, right. at that point. And you've done a lot of horrifying things. <laughs> yes. Oh, yes. That was very intense. I had read that you should fast, so I fasted. And I took 5.2 as soon as I woke up in the morning, you know, because it was the longest period that I was fasting. And I still remember 15 to 20 minutes into it, it just kicked hard. It kicked hard. And I was being faced with my emotions. Mm. You know, some of my emotions started coming forward and it was a very uncomfortable feeling for me because I didn't know how to deal with yeah, it. Yeah. So I took a handful of benzos, mm -hmm. you know, which I shouldn't have done, but I took a handful of benzos. The last thing I remember was waking up 18 hours later. And instead of me being this very scared, very depressed girl after I woke up, I told myself there's a deeper meaning behind this. There's a reason why I keep on waking up. A lot of people take less than what I do, do less than what I do, and don't, you know, they're not right. fortunate enough to get another chance. Right. So talking about waking up from the, from the overdoses yes, and stuff. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So then I started to read more about spirituality, just a little bit of everything, like um, what it means to be a Pisces, and then what it means to have all these numbers appear into my life, and then what is happening in my life that those numbers started to appear at that moment. And 
a big decision for me at that moment that I believed that I was so depressed was because I had a really, really tough time at school. Mm. I had a really hard time just um, learning new things, you know, reading. I always got very embarrassed to read aloud because I was always a few grades behind mm. where I was supposed to be. And same with math. It always took me various tries to learn the simplest things. And I just always thought, you know, it's the weed. It's the marijuana. You know, I, I started smoking very early. I'm just like, it affected my brain. And I'm continuously smoking it chronically, you know, so it's just continuously you know, messing with my brain. Yeah. So that was my main thing at school. You know, it's just like, well, I'm too anxious to stop smoking, but this smoking is not really helping me in my schoolwork. So I had to do the tough decision and tell my dad that I was going to stop school. This was after four quarters, after a full year. Just college. college? Yeah. And for my dad, that was one of the scariest things I had to do facing my dad because Education is really, really big on my whole side of the dad's family. Mm. Like everybody is like education first, that's it, you know? He didn't even let me go to work because I was going to school. He's like, no, that's your focus. You know, you don't need to work. I'll give you the money. Like Mm. all you have to do is go to school. So for me to tell my dad like, hey, this isn't working out for me. It was a really, really tough decision, but that's the first time I believe that I said no to my dad, Mm. to something that was really, really important to him. And he didn't understand it at first, of course. He said, you know what, you can take a quarter off and then you have to go back. Um, Do whatever you have to do within that quarter because that's all you're getting, pretty much. Mm. So once I took the quarter off, I was in a much better mental space. And that kind of gave me the power to stick up for myself a little bit because that was like a really, really hard thing for me to say no to, you know, and to discontinue. And that almost gave me the power like, hey, it's okay to say no. But a lot of the times I had thought that I was very selfish for saying no to people because... My mom, she raised me to be a people pleaser. And for me to say no to people, I thought it was selfish. I thought it was a form of an unhealthy boundary at that time. I didn't want people to be mad at me. You know, I didn't want people to be disappointed in me. I didn't want people to look down on me, just anything. You know, I was very concerned about what other people would think when I would look after myself. Mm -hmm. And I had to keep on reminding myself like, hey, saying no is a healthy boundary and it's a form of self-respect. If I am so in easily influenced by people whenever I don't want to do something and they kind of pressure me into it, they are disrespecting me. They're not um, respecting my boundaries. Not boundaries exactly. Yeah. That also gave me like the power a little bit more to be like, no, like this is like I need to choose what's right for me and you know, anything else, I need to just say no to it. And a lot of that had to do with school. A lot of that had to do with my dad's personality. Whenever he started to talk to me in a disrespectful way or in a way that would get me highly emotional, I would say, you know what? I'm not having this right now. And I didn't deal with it in the best way at that time. I'll just be like, 
okay, bye. I had my car and I was out, you know, mm-hmm. and just like, I'm not even dealing with this right now. And same with my mother, you know, we, we bumped heads a lot. So whenever things would get like really emotional, either on either side, I'd just be like, you know what, this is enough. And I would leave. That was my way of saying no. But now I realize that is a disrespectful and that's a very insensitive way to deal with things. So whenever I want to say no to something, I don't want to feel like I have to explain myself as to why I don't want to do it. But it's also important for me, for the other person to understand as to why it's a boundary, you know, not just me saying like, nope, 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 you know. And for a lot of my friends growing up, that was a really hard concept to understand because I was such a people pleaser. So whenever they would ask me to go to a party, like, it's going to be really crazy. Like you should, there's going to be a lot of heads there. Like you should come. And I would know what I'm capable of. If I was going to be around a lot of people like that, I would want to prove myself of something. So I would, you know, do stupid stuff that I didn't really want to do. So whenever I started telling them, like, you know, I'm going to sit this one out, they would kind of look at me like, who are you? Like, who is this person? And that was really, really hard for me because it was almost as if they only liked me because of, you know, my party personality, you know, my crazy personality. It's almost that, that they didn't understand, they didn't respect, or they didn't like this this Janet that started to respect herself more. Mm. That was really hard for me because they started distancing themselves from me a little bit. And I'm just like, wow, I really had these friends built around me giving in so easily. My biggest challenge from this lesson was to not feel guilty. Don't feel guilty for looking after myself. Don't feel guilty for doing things that honestly are beneficial for myself and, you know, omitting everything that's not doing me any justice, you know, doing me any good. And this honestly applies to anything, you know, this applies to peer pressure from your friends, you know, like come to a party, it's just like, you know, no, or, you know, being pressured into sex, being pressured into using substances, being pressured into doing something really risky just for, you know, a few laughs. Yeah. That was a lesson very hard for me to learn at, you know, 18, 19, 20 years old and still learning, you know, I still have that little guilty mentality whenever I have to, especially my parents, whenever I have to tell them no, Mm -hmm. just because despite me having a tough youth, they have done so much for me, right. you know? It's just like, I want to return that, but love them. exactly, yeah. you know, and I don't want to disappoint them. So uh, me feeling guilty is something that I'm still dealing with. Yeah, so the last thing I wrote is, it's okay to think for yourself and decide for yourself. Time and energy are yours, so be responsible. No one else is responsible for how happy I am. No one else is responsible for how successful I'm going to be in life, whether it's, you know, physically, spiritually, mentally, anything. No one is responsible for that but myself. And I need to keep reminding myself that because a big part of looking after myself is learning when to, you know, say no. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that was my was my first lesson. First beautiful lesson. <laughs> Thank you. How about this one? Solitude is not the same thing as loneliness. Yes. So uh, this is a lesson that came up to me after my first retreat. I used to be this person that didn't like to do anything by myself. Mm -hmm. I always had to have one, two, or a few people with me to do everything. You know, going to the store, I had to have at least my friend, my cousin with me. Going to the park, just doing anything, anything, anything. I always had to have someone with me. 
And for me, if people didn't join me with these activities or anything I wanted to do, mm -hmm. it was almost like, well, maybe these aren't the type of friends that are willing to, you know, give themselves for me. But I started realizing that so that was a really... was the other side. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it was a really, it was a really hypocritical and selfish way of thinking mm -hmm. and manipulative almost. So I started to realize that and I'm just like, Janet, this isn't who you want to be. If I looked myself in a mirror or if I reflected myself onto another person, that's not the type of people I would want to be around. So that's not the type of person that I wanted to turn into, mm. you know? So then I started to uh, take myself on little dates. Um, it started off with just me going to the store five minutes in and out. At least it was by myself. And... I would feel like the whole world was just kind of looking at me like, oh, she's doing that by herself. Like, that's kind of sad. <laughs> or that's kind of funny, you know? So, yeah, it started with myself to the store. And then once I felt comfortable going to the store, I started taking myself to the park, walking my dog, you know, alone. And at first, it was a very, very uncomfortable feeling for me. So mm -hmm. I'm just like, well, I'm kind of bored. This will be a lot more fun if I had my friends with me. I feel like people are just looking at me, which is something that I'm very uncomfortable with, or that I used to be very, very uncomfortable with. And to the point where I almost got, you know, offended if people were looking at me. I'm just mm. like, what? You never you seen a it. yeah, you never seen a girl walking by herself. So that started to become very hard for me. Cause I'm just like, well, I don't know if I'm doing the right thing by doing things by myself. Maybe I'm just not, you know, that type of person that does things by themselves. Maybe I'm just too social for that. But I, I kept my ground. And I started doing things a little bit more challenging. So I started doing um, or getting Airbnbs by myself. And at first, I wasn't doing anything special during my Airbnbs. It's just, you know, kind of forcing myself like, hey, you're going to be by yourself. <laughs> like, hey, you're going to be by yourself for a day or, you know, two, three. And you're just going to focus on yourself. Do whatever you want. You, you can, you know, I was painting. I was going for hikes, which I loved. I loved taking pictures of just whatever. So I was doing a lot of that. Just stuff to make me feel comfortable being by myself. And then I started realizing by spending time by myself that I didn't like doing a lot of the same things that I was doing pretty much my whole life. Even if it was, you know, things that I still kind of had interest in. It's just like, I don't like them as much as I thought I did because I'm perfectly fine not doing them right now by myself. Mm. But whenever I'm with my friends, it's just like, yeah, let's do it. So it was more like a influential type of thing. And I started to think like, hey, if some, like if I'm figuring out, you know, one or two things that I don't really like to do that I've been doing my whole life, pretty much, Imagine how many more things I would discover if I would just spend more time by myself. Mm. So after that, it started becoming almost like this, like this natural high, you know, every time I'm by myself, it's just like, I don't need to consider anybody's feelings right now. Mm. You know, I can do whatever I want and I don't have to ask someone if they want to do it. They're not going to push me into like, hey, let's go do this now or like, let's, that's enough of that, you know? Mm -hmm. It's just like, I got to decide for myself, right. just like everything. And that's when I started to do Airbnbs like every month. It was just like this thing, like I was looking forward to it. That was yeah. my reward. And one day I had a, like a nice bag of shrooms and I told myself, I'm going to take a large dose 
And I'm going to be by myself in this very secluded Airbnb that I found beautiful, beautiful. There was not even the owners were around, like no neighbors around 12 acres. Like it was huge. Yeah, huge. And so I decided to take the mushrooms and it was very, very intense at first. During my upcoming, I didn't want to be by myself just because I knew what I was capable of doing. You know, I've Mm. done overdosing, you know, trying to stop the, trying to stop the the feelings. Yeah. And my emotions started coming through and they weren't so positive. So I didn't want to put my life in danger because of that. And I remember I ran to my car and I was just going to drive back. Right. But because I was heavily under the influence, I couldn't find my stuff. Thankfully, I couldn't find my keys. That's a good thing. Yes. Thankfully, I couldn't find my keys. And by the time I went back into the Airbnb to look for my keys, I had totally forgot what I was doing. Like, it, like I didn't even want to go to my car and drive back anymore, right. right? I just got so distracted with just things around me. And what seemed like this very anxiety-provoking, very uh, depression-provoking, very um, just this horrible trip that I had thought I had... Entered into. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Turned into be this tough love type of, you know, trip. So yes, it was very tough, but I was learning so much about myself. And a big part of it was me feeling very uncomfortable whenever I would think about certain people in my life and certain things that I was doing in my life. So I was experimenting with different types of pills, different types of, you know, synthetics and stuff like that, just because why not? I had them. And while I was, you know, giving myself the the tough love, I told myself, that's not even what you want. You Mm -hmm. just want the hype of it. You know, you just like the adrenaline it gives you. You know, that's it. That's the adrenaline. You know, it's not that I actually like doing those specific things. Right. And then I started to think about all the people that were making me uncomfortable at that moment. And I'm like, well, I'm getting this uncomfortable feeling for a reason. If they were truly people that I wanted into my life, I would think about them wanting to be here with me. But instead, it was more like, I don't even want to talk to them anymore. You know, I don't like I don't even want to see them anymore. And then that's when I started to realize like, hey, they're not beneficial people. They're just around me because of what I do, you know, and I was in the same cycle being around those people. It was just like I would spend a little bit of time by myself and I would think I was getting a little bit better until I saw one of my friends. And then I'm just like, yeah, let's do that. Just the same cycle. And so I started distancing myself from almost all of my friends. And it was a big transformation in my life because the majority of those people, I mean, they joined my life in a very, very tough place, you know. So for me, you know, they were there um, in a really tough place and I felt like I owed them something. And that was not the case. I did give him an explanation, just I have a different mentality now, but it got very, very lonely for me, Mm -hmm. very lonely for me. And I was like, well, maybe this isn't the thing. Like I got this, this such, such this comfort from being by myself. And I'm just like, Maybe I'm not doing maybe I'm not doing something right here. Like why am I so comfortable not being around anybody? Like why why am I becoming so irritable towards the people that I was used, you to, know, like so used to love so much? Exactly. 
And it became very lonely for me, but I had to remind myself, you know, like this is important to you. And I have always loved TED Talks, you know, TED Talks, just inspirational videos or just people just talking about their lives, especially really tough times. And I remember I saw this TED Talk, but I forgot her name, but she was this most simple, simple woman that said it very simply, you know, and she, she said just that. She said, solitude is not the same as loneliness. Mm-hmm. And then she started getting more in depth. And she started talking in the TED Talk, but that line just stuck to me because I had kind of merged those two into one feeling. And I'm yeah. just like, you know. If you were by yourself, you had to be lonely. Exactly, yeah. exactly. And whenever she started speaking, I'm just like, you're absolutely right. Being by myself, I started to realize who I want to be and who I don't want to be, what I like and what I don't like, and, you know, how much I actually like those things Mm -hmm. and just what I wanted in my life and what I didn't want in my life, you know, whether it was people, substances, experiences, you know, just everything. And it did become... A little bit lonely, but throughout my process, I started meeting new people Mm. who had like mentality. And to me, it was this very strange feeling. So I'm just like, well, I would have never pictured myself being friends with these type of people. But I honestly saw them as kind of like squares. I was just (laughs) like, you know, they're not going to be up for like the risky stuff that I kind of like to do. But thankfully, one of my friends that I've met on my freshman year of high school... She has been through my side the whole time. She has seen the worst parts of me. She has seen the best parts of me. And I feel like we both kind of progressed at the same time. So whenever I was dealing with my hard times, you know, in solitude, she was dealing with her hard times in solitude. Mm -hmm. And for a long time, I kind of guilt-chipped myself because I'm just like, how can I abandon someone that has been with me all four years of high school and just kind of abandon her when she had been so much to me? Yeah, so after my first retreat, there was this concert that I wanted to go to. And usually whenever I went to those type of concerts, I would invite, you know, my very risky friends, my no good friends. And it was very hard for me to not hit them up and be like, hey, there's a show, like, we're going, right? So I had put it into my head, like, I'm going to go by myself. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm going to go by myself. And I feel like it was two or three days before the concert. I don't know what triggered me to do this because I had had in my mind, like, no, I'm going to go by myself. And I was kind of excited to go by myself, you know? And I don't know why I kind of, like sparked the idea after not talking to my friend Yasmin for probably two years. I just texted her out of nowhere. I was just like, hey, there's this concert that's coming up. Do you want to come with me? And she said, oh yeah, let's go. We're doing this. And I'm not going to lie, a little part of me was um, a little bit nervous because my mentality had changed so much and she has not seen me in a long time and I have not seen her in a long time. And I know she was dealing with her hard stuff too. So I knew she wasn't going to be the same person that I met in high school. And I knew that I wasn't going to be presenting my same high school self either. So there was a little bit of nervousness and, you know, anxiety there. Vulnerability. Yes, exactly. Mm -hmm. Very vulnerable. And whenever I saw her after like so long, it's like no time had changed. 
I know. So. No time had changed. It wasn't even more like, like snobby, like, oh, I miss you so much. It's just like, let's carry on with where we mm. left off, you know? Beautiful. I know, yeah. yeah. It was Sweet. the best feeling ever. So we went to the concert. We had the most amazing time together. The most amazing time together. And we both admitted to each other, like, you're not the same person. I looked at her and I'm just like, you came out of your shell, you know? And for me, I kind of became more humble. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. I kind of humbled myself a little bit. So our energies met almost perfectly. And that really inspired me to become a better person not only for myself, but for the people around me, because focusing on myself had brought us together again. Mm -hmm. If I was the same person in high school, I would probably invited some other group of friends that would have led me down the wrong path again. But to me, it was a big sign that we had just reconnected so perfectly. And it was almost like my whole fear of like me focusing on solitude and just, you know, like, maybe I'm not doing this right. It's like my whole fear just disappeared. You know, it's just like, no, this is what I was looking for. This is why I spent so much time by myself. You know, not only am I a better person for myself, but I'm also a better friend to her. And then seeing that I was a better friend to her, I'm just like, I'm a better daughter to my father. And then I started saying, I'm a better sister to my brother. I'm a better daughter to my mother. You know, I'm a better granddaughter to my grandparents. And for them, they saw this transition, but they didn't understand why. And the family, you mean? Yes. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't easy for me to tell them, like, hey, I was spending a lot of time by myself doing mushrooms, you know, just unlearning whatever you guys taught me and then <laughs> learning by myself again. Yeah. So after a while with reconnecting my, with my friends, we both kind of found it almost strange as to why we were both really comfortable being by ourselves, but we were always being by ourselves, you know, together. It's just like, you know, we need to get away from this environment. But it's almost like, why is it just us two? When I was like, why is it just us two? I started to kind of feel guilty again for leaving my other friends behind. Mm -hmm. I'm just like, well, she has progressed into this beautiful, beautiful woman. I'm just like, maybe I'm not giving the opportunity to my other friends. But then I had to keep reminding myself like, hey, this is your life, don't sugarcoat anything. If they wanted to be in your life still, they would better themselves. But they're comfortable in whatever, you know, misery they were being in at that time. Mm -hmm. So I had to keep on reminding myself like, not everyone has the same mentality as you. Not everybody was raised the same way. Not everybody is gonna think the same. So a lot of um, the challenge was kind of not falling back into old patterns just because, you know, that's when I thought I was comfortable, you know? I was not comfortable. I had to keep on reminding myself how uncomfortable I was and how much of a mask I was putting on, trying to be happy around the type of people that I was hanging around in high school, you know? It was almost like this fake happiness. Like I was almost forcing it into my life. Mm. And that this new Janet almost, you know, forcing herself to be in solitude. Yes, it was lonely at first, but then I started to crave it more and more, you know? And even now I do, you know, crazy stuff by myself and I feel more empowered to keep on doing this. Crazy, but not self-destructive Exactly, stuff. not self-destructive. And now that I started 
to feel so much better, like such in a better mental state, you know. I know how to deal with my emotions a lot better. I know how to deal with boundaries a lot better. I know how to deal with, you know, just very impulsive things. I know how to stop and think and be like, hey, do I really want this in my life? Which as to before, I'm just like, no, you know what? I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna do it. You know, I'm just gonna do it. It'll make me feel better. And if it doesn't, then I know what will make me feel better. But now I started realizing that I need to start appreciating the ugly in my life because the ugly in my life, all the challenges, all the, you know, misconceptions of everything that started to teach me more valuable and more beneficial things. It started introducing me to more beneficial things like meditation and going out for hikes and like healthy ways to deal with my anxiety. Just better ways to deal with my anxiety and with uh, my depression. And that kind of pushed me to start telling my friends, you know, like, hey, this is what you guys need to do. Like, it's gonna be boring, it's gonna be hard. You might think you're doing it wrong, but it's so empowering after. It's almost like a like a hill that you have to get over. Mm. Like the higher you get, the more tough it's gonna get. Right. But then once you get to the top, you're like, wow, I see what's everything in front of me, you know? Mm. And then you just kind of start thinking like, all right, once I get over this hill, it's just gonna be so much easier because it's just, you know, it's easier going downhill. So everything just started coming into my life a lot easier. Not only did I, was I spending more time by myself, you know, taking myself on a little bit of dates, it was more like, I need to do this now. Like it, it was almost like a crave just to be by myself. Right. And once I got to that state, it was almost crazy for me to think about the person that I used to be, you right. know? So people pleasing, it's just so energy draining, right. very energy draining. And once I started focusing a little bit more on my spirituality and noticing, you know, this energy and, you know, just focusing on vibrations and energy and stuff and really listening to my body instead of, you know, just my brain or my heart telling me I really needed to listen to my body, like what makes my body feel good, you know? Mm -hmm. And a lot of that was spending time by myself. And anytime I would do something by myself, I'm just like, I did that. Now let's go do something else, you know? Mm -hmm. And it just like started progressing, progressing until eventually I came to my second retreat. Um, and here we are. And here we are, you know? And it's funny because during my first retreat, I thought it was gonna be the hardest thing ever. And not gonna lie for the first days, it was because I'm, you know, 4,000 miles away from home. Mm -hmm. And I have never really traveled so long by myself, you know? Mm. For my Airbnbs, it was never more than like five days. Right. So for me to come to Peru for two weeks was this huge huddle for me. But once I got over it, as soon as I came home, I'm just like, no, next time I come back, I'm gonna go for two months. You know, <laughs> like I can do this. Yeah. <laughs> um, so it's, it's such an empowering feeling learning how to be in solitude. Yeah, know? be with yourself, know yes. yourself. Exactly. Be able to be comfortable with yourself. Exactly. Awesome. Well, I, I loved hearing your story. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you, you changed a lot in the last year. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> you have. I'm so happy for you. Thank so glad you. for you. All right. Anything else you want to say? I think that's it. All right. Yes. You said a lot. I, I think it's really nice. Okay, really good. Right. <laughs> Thanks, Janet. Thank you. 
I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Lessons Live podcast. The Lessons Live podcast is part of the Lessons Live project, where our mission is to catalog the lessons of every human being's unique life and disseminate those lessons for humanity's betterment. If you like what you heard, please subscribe. If you have lessons you would share with the world, you can share them now at LessonsLive.com, a platform where you can share your life's lessons and learn from others. If you want to be a guest on this podcast, please send me an email at info at LessonsLive.com and let me know what you would teach the world. Until next time, I wish you well. 